I don't know who you are, but welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. Sit back, relax, and listen about cameras, gear, settings, stories, and all things photography. Join Darren on Ireland's Best Photography Podcast. Let's go. Stephen Hanna, welcome to the Irish Photography Podcast. How are you getting on, buddy? Not too bad. Thanks so much for having me on. How's things down oh, with thanks you? Thanks very much for coming on. Ah, things are good now, yeah. Things are good. You know, we're we're in our lockdown down here, but you know, you're not in the same restrictions, I suppose, that we have. So you have a small bit of more freedom, I think, do you? Yeah, our restrictions are a little bit more lenient. I think it seems to be more about the hospitality uh, mm-hmm. sector with us. So um, restaurants, hotels, all that kind of thing are all closed. But we can still travel about. Um, so really, there's been no issues kind of getting out and about as long as we stay you know we're not crossing any borders or doing anything yes, like that so yeah. yeah it's been it's been okay good good you know as i suppose from our point of view down here we can go five kilometers so it's quite restrictive so you know you, you can look out the window and see autumn colors and dream about being able to get out and get shot to them but yeah. you know, i suppose we'll, we'll talk about that with you actually because i saw that you were out in the peak of it actually and i was looking totally jealous so yeah <laughs> yeah we uh i had a lot of plans to uh to head to head down south to head down to the wicklow the clock lee and glen Miller and a few places but uh i just i stayed i stayed local this year i stayed in mm-hmm. spent a lot of time in Tullymore, which is not yes. is not a bad place to be stuck for for the autumn color so i True story, uh, yeah, yeah I, I spent a lot of time down there this year which was which was really nice and it was looking yeah, amazing you know. this, this year. So not to make you jealous. Yeah, but. <laughs> I was totally jealous, yeah, when I was looking at it. But at least, you know what, I, I suppose I, like a lot of people, could at least see it vicariously by looking at your feed because, you know, autumn is a beautiful time of the year, but we were lucky to see that you were able to get into Tallymore and show the beauty of it, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's actually quite interesting because it was very, very busy over the that kind of week that it peaked because it was at the time where the, the skulls were off for Halloween. So yes. you were... Uh, obviously there were a lot of photographers about it was nice to to meet a lot of people and kind of bump into a few familiar faces that you you tend to bump into this time of the year Mm -hmm. in certain Mm -hmm. locations Mm -hmm. which was nice but yeah uh, a few of the locations now were a little bit busy Um, like the Stepping Stones which is one of the iconic places in Tullymore it was very very difficult to to photograph just with the, the amount of people that were trying to cross the river and you know do their own photos and mm-hmm. family days out mm-hmm. which we're all entitled mm-hmm. to so that that was uh that was quite interesting so it was but For yeah sure, it was very, it? And I suppose it was very busy this was, year um what you're going to say was it hard to get a clean shot like with the amount of people that would be around there all the time and it's it's i've never been there but i can imagine that there's a confined area that you can get your ideal composition but you somebody else that's thinking that that's something that they could be part of unwittingly or unknowingly or Maybe so. Yeah, so we, uh, a really good time to shoot the stepping stones at this time of the year is in the late afternoon because the sun can actually creep round. So if you kind of get the angles right, you can get a nice um, flare coming through the trees. Yes. The only issue with that is that it's probably one of the busier times in the forest. So um, on the Wednesday of that Halloween week, I had a one-to-one workshop and we went down and we sat for probably over an hour Okay. at the stepping stones uh, just to try and get a, a little bit of a segment where there was no one on it 
Nope. And I think I nope. counted at one point there might have been nearly 50 people standing to the side, wow. at either side, either waiting to go across or they were taking selfies or photos of people on the stepping stones. Best. And the guy that was out with me, he was doing like 30 second long exposures trying to uh, blur people. Raised, and yeah. The, the, yeah. the fr really frustrating thing was the light was absolutely magical. It was just coming down in like shafts uh, through the trees just Beautiful. behind them. And it was just, oh, it was like one of those moments you just wanted to scream. But uh, <laughs> so what we ended up doing, we kind of took a lot of different shots and we're kind of going to try and like make a composite almost of kind of blending in um yes okay empty areas from from different shots because it just it was just a nightmare it just there was no was other no other way of doing it yeah it was Ouch. i think tullymore has like three massive big car parks and they were all full like it was like completely ran so um wow. but at the same time that it's good that people are getting out and enjoying the beauty that we have because i think one of the things that lockdown has taught a lot of people is to look at what we have on our doorstep and to enjoy sure. what we have yeah. so uh, in a way it's, sure. it's kind of bittersweet but that's just photographers being you know fussy and grumpy and selfish yeah. <laughs> you know i suppose you know what there, there there is there is something to be said i suppose in relation to that because you know the amount of people that want to get out right now because they've yeah. been confined for so long and then when you finally do get out you know, okay it's, it's weekends you might go it's peak time but if you're during the week it's supposed to be not, but obviously if the kids being on midterm, then yeah. let's go. It's a nice day. Let's get out where we can go because come next week, kids are going to be back into school or whichever. And then bang, we're into the winter time. It's dark before you even realize it. What are you going to do? So yeah. I think absolutely probably, uh, you know, a culmination of perfect timing for the autumn colors. And then obviously people being on uh, midterm as well. It's all colliding together. And then you add in the photographer on top of that. Yeah. And multiple photographers all wanting to get those shots at that peak time, then it's going to be a busy, busy spot, yeah. It is. And although the, the funny thing was, um, and I think it's probably credit to the the community of photographers, is that, you know, certain places like the likes of Foley's Bridge, I'm not sure if, you, if yes. you've shot it before, but it's probably... No, I've never been there. It's probably one of the most iconic bits, other than the Stepping Stones, so the Foley's Bridge, beautiful, arched, old, old, old... Um, stone bridge surrounded by color like the autumn colors are mm -hmm. insanely good and uh it's funny because you know we were kind of almost queuing up and we were you know giving each other space and no one was really fighting to get in for a shot it was it was it was a really nice uh yeah it was because people were waiting and was like no there's no rush take your time you know i'm i'm just happy enjoying being out and then you know when someone else finished they moved on and so it was lovely you know it's it's a nice i just thought it was a nice community um mm. spirit in it so we were all kind of there to do the same thing um and we weren't kind of jostling for you know uh, who, who could Position. who could take the better shot yeah and i suppose you know off off side of that then people looking at that online like me i'm going oh, i wish i could be out taking photographs look where he's at oh my god you know so yeah it kind of swings on both sides really and you're there in the middle of it you're kind of going okay i want to get more space to myself but looking out in i do anything to kind of be in that situation yeah. right now because we couldn't do anything like i like you had a lot of plans that were for that period of time i actually took time off from work as well to make the most of the autumn period mm -hmm. and then bang lockdown came i couldn't leave cork and then after that i couldn't go five kilometers from my home and i'm like all right okay and the whole deer what was happening down in killarney and i wanted yeah. to go down to that 
the whole lot all put by the wayside. So I guess uh, thanks very much for kind of making me jealous, but also giving me an insight into seeing what it was like, I can say, living it vicariously. And that's what made me want you to get you on because when I was thinking, you know what, he's lucky he can get out there. He can involve himself in seeing the beautiful conditions that he has and get those photographs, which are kind of, you know, something that I can't get anyway. And a lot of people I think can't get at the moment. But before we even go any further, I suppose, Stephen, really, just in case somebody doesn't know who is Stephen Hanna, tell us a bit more about yourself. So, uh, wow. Um, I am a full-time photographer. Um, I shoot landscapes and I shoot weddings. Um, I am probably one of those people who are fortunate enough that my job is also my hobby or my hobby is my job, whatever way mm -hmm. you want to look at it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm a husband, father. Um, I enjoy the outdoors and... Yeah, I suppose that's that's about me in a nutshell. I just keep my head down and get on with it. <laughs> exactly, and have fun along absolutely. the way with your hobby yep. that helps you to pay the bills, as I say. Yep, absolutely. And let me let me ask you, I suppose then, where does the word Nebo come from? So Nebo, uh, we did a rebrand. So initially, before I just traded under my own name, but it's just with Stephen Hannah Landscapes, and yes, uh, for our family, our faith is is important to us, and. Nebo is a mountain in it's it actually still exists. It was in the Old Testament and it okay. was where God took Moses to the top of Mount Nebo to mm -hmm. show him the promised land that the people of Israel were going to inherit. So it was mm -hmm. this notion of standing from a viewpoint and just looking over this wide vista. Um, mm -hmm. and it kind of tied in well because a lot of the stuff I like to shoot is the wide vista, the wide vista. you know, um, like normally when I'm shooting on the, the wide lens, it's right out at 16 mil. It's as much as I can cram into a scene. Fishing. So, um, yeah. I kind of just like that analogy of the kind of taken up and being shown this wide vista of an amazingly beautiful land. So that was mm -hmm. where Nebo came mm -hmm. from. So we did a rebrand probably maybe a couple of years ago. Okay. or thereabouts which was um which was quite interesting it was kind of always a little bit unnerving whenever you're just trying yes. to do some something a little bit different so yeah for that sure that's interesting came. to know the name came from as well because it's, as you say it, it does tie into the wide vista so it ties in yeah. from the landscape photography point of view as well i suppose which is quite interesting yeah. and like how then when you think about photography and your photography journey so far i suppose that's one area as you say about going through the rebrand but that meant that you had something that was created before going to the rebrand and now you've come out from the rebrand in regards to the Nebo point of view. But if we go back a bit further, when did you get started in photography? Was it something that you've had from a young age? Did it come through teenage years? Did it come from a necessity from work? Or what way did it start out, I suppose, for you? For me, I always had a bit of an, uh, an interest in it, but it was back in the days of film and... I remember I was probably in my late teens and looking at film cameras and uh, looking at the price of film and I, just, I had absolutely no idea where to even start. And then mm -hmm. um, the first digital camera came out. Now, I think it was like a two megapixel point and shoot thing. This was revolutionary at the time. Yes. So I was probably in my early 20s, I would say, maybe, whenever okay. I I picked, I, I got this. I got it as a gift from my parents for Christmas. And I literally just went out and started photographing everything, like whether it moved or it didn't move, I, I shot it. Um, but landscapes was always the thing that 
I was always drawn to. And okay. uh, I literally trawled the internet. Uh, even back then, probably YouTube wasn't as big a thing. So um, I joined a community called eFotoZine. I don't know if you've ever heard of okay. it. Uh, I think no. it still exists. Uh, so it's basically a website, but it has forums and, and that kind of thing. And I literally okay. just sat on it 24 seven and you know you posted up pictures and you got feedback and all this sort yes. of stuff and you know you entered little competitions and just absorbed all these amazing landscape photos and was trying to figure out okay so how do they get that effect how do they get that blurry water you know you were kind of going through this whole process and then you realize okay so i've got a little point and shoot camera can't have any filters on it it's mm -hmm. you know so mm -hmm. I might need to think about the next step up and then you start to think, right, what filters do you need? And it kind of went from there. Um, mm -hmm. And that was kind of how I got into it. It was just a hobby at the time. And uh, as I say, I just photographed everything. I just took the camera with me everywhere. And uh, mm. yeah, that was kind of how it all evolved. Would you kind of class yourself at the time so as an experimental photographer that you just try something and see how you get on with it? Or were you... Just saying, okay, no, I don't want to go off and do wacky things with the camera. I just want to stick to the standards. Or did you learn photography by experimenting? Uh, probably learned by experimenting. Like I, I did a little spell of shooting macro stuff where I was shooting like water droplets. Oh, I, on, can't, I can't do macro. You know, I, it was like, I, I wasn't really sure what I was even doing, but I, it was kind of like I saw it in the magazine. So you were like, mm -hmm. oh, right, okay, let's try that. So you were dropping water droplets on the CDs and you know, getting a wow, look, look at this and photographing flowers. And then I was out shooting landscapes again. And then, as I say, trying to do long exposures of water and kind mm -hmm. of just all evolved from there. Um, I kind of dabbled a little bit um, just to kind of see what I was, what I was interested in, or maybe I was seeing images online and then think, right, I wonder how they did that. So um, you were mm -hmm. kind of then starting to Google, right, how do you get that kind of effect? And it was a steep learning curve. It really was just this whole mm, for sure. other whole world of something that I had absolutely no idea about. Um, and and with and within all that learning, is there one particular part of photography that you go never again? I'm not going to try that again. Or is it a case of no? You know what? I kind of enjoyed all aspects of it. Um, or, or I for a while I did some newborn photography. Uh, okay. So it was around about the time that we had our own daughter. Uh, so that was a perfect example, a perfect opportunity for me to get loads of practice in. But um, sure. I just find I just didn't have the patience for it. It was just an absolute nightmare. So it, that <laughs> that little very short phase soon passed. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, that was probably about the only one. Because um, I say I shoot, I shoot people, I shoot weddings, um, and kind of like outdoor portraiture stuff as well as the landscape so i don't really mind photographing people in that sense but the, okay. definitely the, the the baby child thing was, was i find very very stressful just to kind of get the shot and have the have the patience for it the interesting thing for me actually is when you know you mentioned about the amount of times that you can um go off out and do different types of photography and you can experiment and you might find all of a sudden that geez i really like this or I could get stuck into this and I'm good at this and maybe I'll go further with it, but you'll go as far as you can and put all the work into it to mm -hmm. master it, but then you never go near it again after you've gotten it because you kind of go, all right, I know to do that now, but it was yep. a big, big thing to do it at the time, you know? Absolutely. So I think that's, 
and that's what I suppose from my point of view I, I'm, I always call myself a one trick pony all I do is landscape photography I don't do anything else and from that point of view is because I've tried all the other things okay I, I get them in the end but it's about practice and I kind of say am I going to use it again probably not but some things I have done right is when I take photographs with the kids I've learned a few things there over the years that now I can get the camera bring it out quickly bang get the shot yeah. whereas before if I hadn't pushed myself into learning those things I'd be still stuck with the whatever, F11, ISO 100, whatever period of time you're going to take your photograph at, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. So I think it's always good to experiment. And it's interesting, as you say, that you went down the different routes from a macro point of view, even with the um, newborns. I mean, it's not something I'd ever even attempt to do. And one thing I definitely would never do is a wedding. And you might say, geez, okay, but a wedding is good. You know, you can, you can get good at it. You enjoy it. You get paid well. But for me, no, because I find that be more stressful because you get one shot at a wedding day and you, it's all resting on you. And if you goose it, yeah, you can't rewind the tape. You can't say, oh, look, we'll get people back in again next week and we'll do it. You're goosed, like, you know? So for me, that's what scares me. Mm-hmm. But even from, I'll never do a wedding. Like. <laughs> yeah, I, I once said that as well, um, quite a number of years ago. And uh, I've shot quite a number since. So, yeah, a friend of mine uh, asked me to shoot her wedding. I'd never photographed a wedding before. And uh, okay. she wasn't going to have a photographer. So I said, right, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Uh, <laughs> so I brought another guy with me who had actually photographed a few as a hobby. And um, I photographed her wedding. And I actually was really surprised that I, I actually really enjoyed the process of it. Okay. So then it kind of went from there where someone else asked my wife, would I photograph her wedding? And then somebody else asked and then I kind of find, you know what, this actually is quite enjoyable and my, okay, my style yeah. of doing it would be quite relaxed. It's quite natural photography, so I'm not using any off-camera flash or anything really dramatically posy or anything like that. So, yeah, that kind of just snowballed to the point where something I thought I would never do and never really had a desire to do, once I was sort of thrown in at the deep end, I realised, well, actually, hang on, um... I, I really enjoy this and people are willing to pay me to do it. So um, mm-hmm. kind of before I, I knew it, then I was building up more and more and more. So what I was doing in my job, I was just taking days off, uh, just taking holidays or obviously working on Saturdays, which um, was fine. And um, that was kind of how I fell into wedding photography in a way. It certainly wasn't what I had ever envisaged doing, but um, I'm really glad that, that that's how it worked out. Yeah, for sure. I think it's it's interesting you say there too because you kind of grew with it organically from a, from a friendship point of view as opposed to, shit, I have to go and get a job. Okay, what am I going to do? I have to earn money. Well, no, because you allowed yourself in your mind, I think, potentially, I don't know, but this is a practice run as such because it's for a friend so you can be more comfortable. Yeah. And that, did that help you kind of ease into it? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, and there was really no pressure as such because... The way I looked at it was, well, look, they weren't going to have a photographer, so anything I get's a bonus. <laughs> it's maybe not the right yeah. attitude, but that's kind of where I was at the point. Um, but, uh, yeah, and I think one of the, the good things with wedding photography um, is that because people book so far in advance, you can plan quite a bit ahead. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when it got to the stage where um, I started to consider, I wonder, could I actually do this as... A, like a, a job um mm-hmm. i was kind of able to uh plan ahead and book ahead almost a year and a half of work 
so that I knew once I hit a certain month, I could actually leave my other job and I could I could work walk into the wedding Transition over and I knew that I would have yeah. income coming in regularly. So it was probably one of those really good industries that you could you could do that because I, I know so many of my mates are self-employed and you know they're maybe going from two to three months ahead and that's maybe all the work mm-hmm. that they know that they have mm-hmm. um whereas with the weddings you know you can be booked two years ahead and you can look at your diary and you can kind of almost lay out apart from 2020 <laughs> which just yeah, didn't, course, didn't really yeah. pan out but you can kind of look at your diary and say okay well i know this is the amount of work that I've got coming in over the next year, year and a half. Um, and then mm-hmm, I can kind mm-hmm. of schedule other stuff around that, which is, mm-hmm. which is quite good. And speaking of scheduling other stuff around that is to get out with your hobby, which is from a landscape point of view. You know, I imagine that you kind of relish that then is it's like a busman's holiday per se, because your wedding work is what's paying the bills, but this is what you enjoy going off out then into X, Y, and Z locations, I imagine. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, one thing you kind of touched on it as well about the pressure of the wedding day and that you, you've only got really one chance to, to nail this and you've got mm-hmm. maybe 30 minutes to get an awful lot of photographs covered and you know you're always chasing it time-wise whereas you go out and shoot a landscape you go out and hike for a couple of hours conditions aren't great ah, it's mm-hmm. no big deal you just drive home you're disappointed obviously but yes you can just go back the next day and there's no pressure mm-hmm. no time pressure no nothing so it's a nice balance between the two um mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. i think one of the things that whenever we did the nebo rebrand was that we wanted to try and push more into the landscape work uh because we're, you're always conscious of well do i want to be doing weddings in another 10 15 years time um and you're kind of looking at other avenues of income and other things that you want to kind of grow as a business so we kind of Mm -hmm. find well okay let's let's look at prints let's look at you know trying to sell more of a work maybe doing more workshops kind of grow that side of the business so that if anything ever Mm -hmm. happened and we find it now with with the you know covid that obviously uh the wedding diary has just vanished this year mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. so it's been good to have print sales coming in or you know mm-hmm. an odd workshop here and there <clears throat> so that side of the business has been you know has been really really helpful um mm. which is kind of scary because you know you always think the likes of weddings and things that like are a secure industry to be in but who could ever have foreseen a curveball such as Gosh. such as this so yeah Nobody could have ever foreseen it, you know, and even as you say, like the amount of people that you would have things planned for so far ahead, you could go off and make decisions based on those plans. And all of a sudden, for no fault of your own, those plans are pulled from underneath you. So absolutely, it's a 2020 is a shitstorm of the year. <laughs> and I think, unfortunately, you know, uh, it's not going to go away when we go into 2021, but at least we can kind of put 2020 behind us and hope that it eases yep, as it absolutely. goes away. And as you say, you know, to get out into the landscape, to switch off and kind of go, okay, breathe in the fresh air, take it all in. And if you get some shots that you can utilize, which we'll talk about later on about printing, then it comes out as a better situation as well. So, and, and actually something for you there, I suppose, speaking of the landscape. So then how many years ago did you decide to start that you wanted to start filming yourself when you were taking your photos in the landscape? Because you, you started the YouTube channel. I think you stopped it then for a while and then you came back to it again. So Talk to me a bit, I suppose, about how that evolved. How did that start out? So I actually was looking back um, four years ago 
I think it was, I did the first um, vlog on YouTube and okay. it, it was, I was kind of looking, I was searching on YouTube for just like behind the scenes landscape photography trips and things and uh, Thomas Heaton was obviously the first one that appeared up. So I, I just binge watched yep. so much of his content and I just loved the, you know, the rawness and the, it really was a, it wasn't a, you know, top tips to do this or that. It was just, yes. here I am, he, this is what I'm shooting. I'm going to bring you along for the journey. So it kind of really inspired me to say, well, okay, that's, wonder could I do something, the same idea. Along um, those lines. So that was kind of how I decided to start vlogging. And yeah, I, I got to the stage, I think, where I just hit a bit of a burnout. Um, mm -hmm. and you'll probably know what that's like. You're, you know, the amount of obviously vlogging that you're doing yourself and yeah. constantly trying to produce video content where, you know, your still images are possibly suffering because you're putting this pressure on having all this B-roll sure. and all of this. So it got to the stage where I just was like, I was almost hating the idea of creating a video. So I just took a break from it. Um, I don't know whether that was a good thing for the channel because I don't know whether when a channel sits dormant for so long that, you know, whatever. But um, I got back into it and then I took a break again. <laughs> and now I've got back into it again. So at the minute, I'm, I'm pretty much churning out one video per week. Um, I'm good. trying to do it every Sunday. Uh, but I'm also at the stage at the minute where, do you know what? If I don't have a video for the weekend, I'm not stressing it's about not it. I just, I just yeah. let it slide and I'll get one for the next week whereas before i think it was almost you were trying to force yourself to create content mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. to kind of hit an upload deadline to try and mm -hmm. you know play about mm -hmm. with the algorithm and all this kind of thing and um yeah i think that's whenever you start to make pretty poor videos because they're you're just forcing it you're going through the motion for the sake of having to go through the motion without any intent of creating something that you want to create it's just i have to create yeah. technically speaking you know and it's interesting i suppose you say there about the image suffering by recording the video because there's an awful lot involved in recording video and you either as you say you know stopped it came back to it stopped it again come back to it what i find is that i've been doing it now for so long that it kind of comes second nature to me to a certain extent not that i'm anyway good at it i'm not saying i'm fantastic at what i'm doing but I know when I need to put the camera down to record me walking in or me, I know if I see something I want to record to the camera, bang, I'm set up in 20 seconds and it's done. And that's something I think, which from my point of view, it's a pain in the backside because you just want to go take your photograph. And, you know, we were talking there before we started this about having to stop recording video to catch the light. Yeah. And that's a really important thing as well, because if you're recording video and the image loses out, then what's the point in recording the video? Because isn't it not to showcase your image, which is why you're creating the video in the first place, as opposed to the image to showcase your video. You know, does that make sense yeah, to you? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, I think when it gets to the point where your still images are suffering, then I think that's when you have to just hit pause. Um, yeah. Especially if you're trying to run a business and you're trying to sell the prints or whatever. Uh, exactly. Financially, what is going to be more beneficial to you, possibly to have an amazing portfolio image or to have a a really good video so it's mm -hmm. yeah i think images always have to come as a priority and i think once i got that right in my head i'm actually enjoying it more now because i don't have yes. the well i should really be flying the drone when this 
you know, I love some amazing drone footage when this light is so good, mm -hmm. or I mm -hmm. should be filming more B roll. And should, I, I don't even think about that now. It's just like, nope, still images. Let's concentrate on that. And then I can kind of bring the video in after that. And that's, yeah, I think that's my, my balance there. I think I've got that right. Yeah. Now. And I agree with you. Um, I mean, like I've done a video uh, one a week since September 17. Um, and while sometimes I felt pressure to get it done, there's been a lot of times that I'm like, sure, if I didn't get it done, what was the end of the day? The only person that's going to annoy is me, nobody else. And no, I haven't missed a week. Um, and it's, it, it's been fun on the other side of it because it forces me to get out because, you know, it's, it's a hobby for me. Whereas if I say, okay, at least now I have to go and make sure that I'm getting out maybe once every two weeks, I'll try and record two episodes for my vlog on one day or whatever, if I can, in the morning or an afternoon or an afternoon and evening. But at least it's forcing me then to say, get out and don't be procrastinating about waiting for the ideal conditions because you're always going to be waiting for the ideal conditions. And, you know, something I believe in is that there is no such thing as bad conditions in landscape photography. There's always a shot. If you can pull a shot out of any condition whatsoever, I think it's always going to be at the bonus by actually being out there. And if you're not in, you can't win. So yeah. that's for me. The, the opposite end of that you know what i mean because it kind of forces me to get into that zone you know yeah and do you find at the minute then that you are are you ahead of so if you're out recording do you have like a backlog of um yeah. videos already yeah i've always tried yeah. to do that and i've i've kind of got to the stage now where i'm literally so tomorrow's video i only filmed two days ago so i was kind of cutting yeah, it yeah. really really fine but so that was adding yes. a little bit more pressure to come home and you know literally download everything start to edit it that night and mm -hmm. then i'm thinking gosh right i need to edit the images that need to go into it and i don't really mm -hmm. like to do that because you're rushing the edit of you know, images the, the actual to image finish to finish because uh, then it has to upload overnight and it's just so I, i've tried to be organized and be ahead but i never seem to i never seem to get very far with that so I find it, I find it really helpful um, to have that because it doesn't get that deadline looming deadline and such like that. I mean, I have three videos now that are ready to go. Um, and there's one that will be going out uh, Sunday tomorrow, uh, which I recorded, I think, in the f uh, around the 7th or 8th or something like that of October. Um, yeah. So it's pre lockdown and everything else as well. And I've been sitting on it because there's been other things that I've been doing, even with the videos I made for the podcast with the books and stuff like that. So ordinarily it would have gone out before now but because yeah. i went into that topic and then i had recorded those items i was able to nudge it along then by another couple of weeks you know so yeah i have a couple of other ones well that are done but it's always helpful to have those in the background because quite rightly as you say you go off out you get some beautiful images but if you're too late you you might turn around and go geez i have to rush these images now just to fit them in the video when actual fact once you put the video up your image that iteration is now in the video. You can't change that yeah. thereafter. And I've had that, you know, number of times in the past that I won't, I won't rush the image anymore um, because, again, I like to play around with it. And as we all do, you do an, an editing session and you might have a very, very good editing session and then you leave and come back an hour later and you're looking going, what was I thinking? Yeah, I, I've had that you know? quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 You kind of either, and I normally find you've actually over-processed it as opposed to mm -hmm. under because... You yes. maybe get totally caught up in the moment and reliving it all, and then you go away and you come back and you think, "Gosh, the light, the colors just weren't that vibrant." That you know, you've just you've gone exactly. way too far, and then you just have to exactly. 
have to dial it yeah. back a bit. So yeah, I th- I've never been a big fan of coming straight home from the shoot, and downloading cards, and just going straight into an edit. Even straight though you're, I'll maybe download them and check, and just have a look at a few that I thought were maybe potential keepers and you know check Same, focus yeah. and have a little. But I'll never really edit them. I'm not a big fan of just going straight in, in the moment because I think you're just too caught up with the emotion of the experience of, sure. of being out in For the sure. landscape yeah so yeah and, and and also i suppose and it's something actually what we'll do is we'll touch on it here in a second we're going to take a quick break right but we'll touch when we come back which is if you over edit your image right now when it then comes to printing it something thereafter you have a whole lot of different things to be able to try and deal with so what we'll do is we'll take a quick break now and we'll come back and we'll discuss that topic in regards to printing yeah no problem yep okay. perfect if you're enjoying this episode of the podcast, why not jump over to iTunes or Spotify and listen to the back catalogue that we have. Some great episodes where we talk about photography, gear, and some excellent guests along the way. Thanks very much for listening and for watching. We'll see you in the next one. And you're very welcome back to part two of the Irish Photography Podcast. And like I said before the break there, you know, Stephen, if printing is something which is very, very important, I think, from an image point of view. You know, an image isn't an image until it's on paper. If it's something on a screen, you'll go past it very, very quickly. So you do a lot of printing, and you alluded to it earlier on, I suppose, in the things that we've, top- we've touched on within different topics. But if I ask you a question, if you're going off out into the landscape, are you going to shoot with print in mind, or are you going to shoot, and if you get a photograph that you can print, it's a bonus? Nine times out of ten, I'll go out with the print in mind, um, okay. definitely. Uh, obviously there, there are times where you'll be surprised and you'll, you'll improvise or you'll, you'll catch something that's, um, maybe not what you were going out for, but yeah, a lot of the time I will be thinking of, okay, like if I'm going out, I want to, I definitely want to shoot a panel of this scene because, um, I think this is going to be something that someone could put on their wall. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm kind of trying to envisage that as a, an iconic image and how mm-hmm. it's going to be printed how it's going to be framed um so yeah i mean that might sound a bit pretentious or a bit um bold but um i i don't like the idea of all of the images that i go out and take just sitting on a hard drive mm-hmm. or just sitting on instagram um and i think we're all guilty of that where mm-hmm. you know we we go out and we can have a hard drive full of amazing images but they they never actually do See anything more than that they just you bring them home you look at them you edit them you might post them on the social media and that's it and mm-hmm. they're never to be seen again so mm-hmm. yeah i think printing is very very important absolutely and i suppose on that side of it as well then um do you do your own printing or do you send out your printing to be done professionally but not professionally uh, so yours bit... isn't professionally of course but you know what i mean by that <laughs> yeah no I, I do a bit of both um some of the smaller stuff i would um, I would print myself. I use the photo speed. Um, I like their platinum etching paper, mm-hmm. their fine art paper. Uh, it's got a lovely um, texture, texture and feel. Yeah. So I would use it for some of the smaller stuff, but a lot of the other stuff I'll outsource to, um, you know, a lab that will do a lot of the bigger stuff as well. Okay. Um, whether whether it's onto the the fine art papers or whether it's onto like the the chromalux the aluminium printing and stuff mm-hmm. i'll just get that all done um by a company mm. um because those guys know you know the c- colors are coming back just 
just right. Spot on. You know, they, those guys know what they're doing. So it does take a lot of the hassle sometimes. Because I know sometimes they've been printing at home and depending on what kind of paper you're using um, and you're trying to proof it before mm -hmm. you print and then you're trying to tweak it mm -hmm. before you send it to print and then it comes out and it's still not just 100%. Mm -hmm. um, it can almost be a little bit underwhelming mm -hmm. and then you have to go back again. So it can be a bit of wastage in printing yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also an awful lot of satisfaction where, you know, whenever you get that image and it's finished, you can just print it straight away. Mm -hmm. You don't have to upload it and wait three or four days for it to come back from a lab. So there is something nice about just being able to do it yourself and have it in hand. Just there. Even not necessarily to sell, but just to have it as a record mm -hmm. and just to look closely at the details and see how it sits on the different papers and stuff. I just find that very, very interesting. And I think as well the fact that if you're printing it at home, you know, I find anyway that I'm tweaking the edit for the print as opposed to if I'm normally yeah. doing an edit that would go on the screen and such like that. And when I first started that off, all my images were coming out dark and I was like, why are they coming out dark? What's this about? You know, I'm looking at the screen. I'm going, it looks perfectly bright here in the screen. Cal I'm looking at the calibration of my screen, but it's exactly that is that you have to tweak it for the print. Otherwise, yeah. it's not going to be printed correctly. Yeah. 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 I quite often find you have to push your exposure um, a bit, maybe sometimes half a stop or something like that, just to, to lift it, to try and start to get it to match. Um, other things I'd normally play about with would be saturation and contrast just to give it, because obviously you're looking at it on a, possibly on a retina screen. Mm -hmm. So everything's just going to be super dynamic and backlit, and, you know, yep. full, of, full of life. And then you go to print it on a, a matte paper and it's just, it's just going to look so flat in comparison. So yeah, you do have to do a little bit of tweaking with it, but, um, also think that's a little bit of the enjoyment with it too i think just so too. kind of mastering and, and tweaking that and just kind of getting it to look just to look as it should but yeah i think you mentioned as well about the calibration i think all of that that whole process is so important um whether you're printing yourself or whether you're um you know, sending print off to your lab just to make sure that you have a good kind of foundation in place with the, the monitor calibration yeah and also if you're printing at home be prepared for a lot of wastage at the beginning you're going to go through a lot of paper <laughs> a lot of paper and a lot of ink it's, yeah. um the, the, it's scary whenever you leave your printer if you haven't you know switched it on especially for the cannons and you just hear it chugging and it's like mm -hmm. it's just pumped through about 50 quid's worth of ink mm -hmm. just to flush out the heads mm -hmm. because i haven't used it and you're like oh how much money have i just wasted doing that but mm -hmm. it's um it's just one of those things. Yeah, it has to be done. Ah, for sure, for sure. And I suppose, you know, the question then for you is in the different types of prints that you would do. So you do print to order. So if somebody's looking for a specific bespoke print, you will go and you will photograph that for them and then do the print in that way. Um, yeah. You also do some abstract prints and you also do some fine art prints. So I suppose yeah. out of, there's probably many more, but let's just pick the three of those, I suppose, really. Which do you prefer? Do you prefer to go to shoot for a, a specific bespoke product or something that all of a sudden you didn't spot? It's so abstract and all of a sudden you looked at it and went, wow, that's really, really nice. Or the latter on the, the fine art. Um, so, well, I guess to touch on a couple of those points, the uh, the idea of the, the abstract, um, one of the things I loved about it was that you're almost looking for a landscape within a landscape. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're kind of looking at things just a little bit closer 
And what I find with it is that with normal landscape photography, so if you're going out to shoot in golden hour or sunrise, sunset, it's all about the light. Like it ha it's about light. You're looking for the light, 100%. shadow, the warmth, all of that. With the abstract photography, you could go on a dull, wet, horrible day to a beach and you could photograph patterns in the sand mm -hmm. and it doesn't really matter about how nice a day it is mm -hmm. because you're just looking at details. So, I, you know, living in Northern Ireland, that's quite a good thing to have in your in your um, your back pocket that you can just go on a bad day mm -hmm. and just go and shoot some abstract stuff. Um, so I, I quite like that. That was quite a, a challenge because that was something I'd never really done before. Um, but I think, yeah, definitely the, the, the landscape wide vista epic scenes, that's still probably my big my big passion. Um so you kinda of mentioned about the idea of doing commissioned mm -hmm. work for, for people. So there's a couple of ways that has worked in the past for me where uh someone has contacted me and said, Look, can you get an image of this area? Uh I want it as a gift or whatever. And the last one of those I had, which was an extremely stressful experience because it was not a photogenic location that the person wanted mm -hmm. and they gave me like literally we need it in like a week and a half's time okay for for a gift and we want it blown up now they they did it was a quite a nice order um financially it was a big massive floating frame mm -hmm. but it was like oh gosh this is just like so i'm a looking at one. the weather forecast and i'm counting down crikey okay i need to go to this location and scout it then i need to go and shoot it and i may need to go back two or three times so i found that extremely stressful um but i ended up i got what i needed and you know delivered it and they were more than happy with it but the other flip side of that was you talk about shooting for print so there was a a few people who i knew um liked some of the the recent morn um uh, photography that I've been doing and um, one guy who's actually turned out now to be a client he had uh, he had been looking for prints so I actually went one night and I, I had a shot in mind that I thought he might like okay um, so I literally went thinking if I shoot this and this comes off I think I have someone who might buy it mm -hmm. so I kind of had almost a sale made in my head before I even shot it. Brilliant. And thankfully he, he did, he, it was a big massive panel. And um, as soon as I showed it to him, he was like, that's the one I want. That's no doubt Bingo. about it, that's it. Bingo. So in many ways it was, it was a commission, but it wasn't a commission, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I found that mo much more exciting where I was, I was kind of given a little bit of, okay, well I know they like that this area. So I have a lot of scope to work with here. I'm not under any time pressure. So if I need to go back to get the right light several occasions, that's fine. It's much more difficult whenever you're sitting in a, you know, you've got a week and a half to produce something that someone's going to put in their wall. Uh, that's a lot more pressure mm, because as sure. you know, landscape photography, it doesn't always work out that no, way. So no. um, yeah, all fun. <clears throat> but you know, isn't it even better then and more rewarding when you actually do get that and you do nail that shot or... You know, you get that photograph that you think, my God, you know, I wasn't expecting to get the conditions that I got, but bang, look at the conditions. And all of a sudden, everybody loves the image. And all of a sudden you're going, I want to buy it. So I want to buy it. I want to buy it. And you're going, wow, yeah. I wasn't expecting that to happen yeah. on the day versus 
uh, again, I made a video around, I don't know, two months ago about expectations, you know, because like, if you go up with expectations, all it can lead to is disappointment because it's not never going to reach the expectation that you would have had. Whereas if you go up with low expectations and you have an unbelievable day and you come back with a banger of an image and then all of a sudden you're making your financial gain from selling them, then that's a far better situation <laughs> for me, I think, anyway, to be in, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think the, yeah, the expectation thing, especially when it comes to landscapes, is um, it can be very frustrating. Uh, as you say, you, you go out and you, you think to yourself, you, you can always become very, very narrow-minded. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's like, this is the shot. I don't want to think about anything else. I don't want to consider any other options. Mm -hmm. This is the shot I'm going for. Mm -hmm. And if I don't get this shot, I'm going to be very, very disappointed. And I often wonder how many other amazing shots you may have missed because you've been so and and i'm as guilty as that at times as well uh like we kind of talked briefly before this uh we were recording about the my last trip up the moorns mm -hmm. with the inversion <clears throat> so uh that was one of those things where my expectation was that when we're whenever we get up here this is going to be amazing mm -hmm. and, and the, we're going to come up through the clouds and this is going but that could have went one of two ways Absolutely. actually went completely pear-shaped yeah um so yeah it's it's trying to manage those expectations um and just trying to maybe adapt and if they don't come off well you know there's always another time exactly yeah and, and you know and people can get so pissed off i suppose really but they had everything in their mind and all of a sudden you know they come back and go how'd you get on ah oh, the light was crap or well it wasn't ah oh, it was used okay i mean we out yeah did we could, could you have been doing something else yeah would it have been as fun as that maybe not okay did you have fun oh yeah yeah it was gave me half an hour more than i thought i was going to be there or whatever it was at least you were out and enjoying it you know yeah absolutely yeah which is a big one and i suppose you know speaking of enjoying it and things that you would have done i suppose over the years you know i noticed that you're a two-time award-winning ppa and i uh, landscape photographer of the year tell us a bit more about that what's how did that come about? What made you think about, did that come from when you were saying about the forum, but entering contests or was it something you say, you know what, I'm enjoying this now. I want to give myself another challenge and I'd enter in some competitions. How did that come about? So the, the PPNI over here, it was the, it's the professional photographers association of Northern Ireland. Yeah. That's the, the long version of the title. So, um, yeah, so it was a, a, a a group that we join as a, as photographers and you know each year they have um yearly awards so you're literally kind of shooting to, throughout the year with the possibility of right okay at the end of the year i'm going to be hopefully having something that i could be entering yeah, sure. into this yeah. so it kind of gives you a goal you know there's loads of different categories wedding portraits all that kind of stuff um so fortunately enough I, two years in a row I managed to win the um, the landscape photographer of the year and I think the second one which was um, probably the the most rewarding is that usually these things are judged purely on um, digital images so you would submit your panel and get shortlisted and then they get go through another um, few rounds of judging but it's all done digitally it's mm -hmm. all done on screen okay the second time round the first section was done digitally, but then the actual, um, whenever it got shortlisted, the final bit was done on print. Okay. So this was kind of one of the reasons when I kind of got more into taking printing seriously, because, you know, these guys were like, you know, paper choice was so important. 
how you framed it was so important, how you, everything was finished. So you really had to think about what images were going in and then what paper you were actually going to be using to mm-hmm. print them on mm-hmm. because that could win or you yeah, know, make it or could, break. It could go either way. So um, that was kind of then how I got really interested in the printing. So it was quite nice to, to win it at that point because I knew, you know, let's face it, when you see images online, it's hard to just always see the quality in them for sure um because some can be you know over sharpened or Mm -hmm. you know maybe they could be a little bit soft and you don't notice it all that kind of stuff so these guys were judging it purely on the print um and i just find that really rewarding because obviously whenever you print the stuff out you can't really hide behind anything Mm -hmm. so if if the quality is there it's there and if it's not it'll just get you know looked over Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. pushed to the side so um yeah, so that that was how that that came about. So the, the the second time that I got it, it was based just purely on the printing, and, and yeah, it was very very rewarding for me, um, just to have people looking at the work and um, trying to remember actually what the image was. I was just going to ask you that in, question. Yeah, um, the first time it was an image from the Buckle in Glencoe. Okay. Yes. Uh, second time was actually it was Donegal. I think it was the bad eddy shipwreck mm-hmm. is it bad eddy out in Dunning? yeah i think it was the shipwreck of it that, that won the the second time so interesting yeah uh, it's it you know you say it there about you know printing the image and putting a panel together uh that actually is another level in regards to complexities because you might look at your images on the screen as you say and then you go down the route of what paper am i going to print it on even from you know what mount am i going to use and what way am i going to now line them up as as a panel to make a cohesive story across the board and then you start really fine-tuning and start looking at the details and you start doing your own worst enemy, which is the equivalent on a print point of view, which is pixel peeping. So you're looking and going, oh, what if they spot that? Is that wrong? And then you would go, I'm overanalyzing this. It's actually perfectly fine. I've gone way, way overboard. And then, you know, I, I remember um, when I, in, in the Irish version, I suppose, and I went for my LIPF and I remember looking and going, okay, I got to put my panel together. And I made one big mistake was I asked too many people for opinions. I originally had thought, you know what, if I get my idea, send it off to a number of people, they'll come back and go, yeah, I like this, I like that, whatever. Then I'm able to bring it all and say, okay, this is the culmination of my opinion plus other people's opinions. But I actually made the mistake of asking too many because then all of a sudden it was diluted so much that I couldn't make up my mind what actually I liked. And I think that's when it comes into when you're going into a competition, you are potentially putting a panel of images together not true to yourself per se that these are the ones I would generally think but you're thinking about the judges and what they're going to look at and what is it they're looking for this year and I think that's interesting you did it two years in a row that you'd won it you know yeah uh, for sure there were images that I had put in um, that didn't even get shortlisted that I would have been much more confident and and images that I've been involved if any are going to get shortlisted it'll definitely be that mm-hmm, image mm-hmm. and it wasn't because what we found was the judges are not, well, firstly, they're not emotionally attached to the image, which we are because we're reliving story, yeah. the, 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 the shooting experience and the, the two-hour hike or the mm-hmm. horrible weather that we had to sit and endure to get the image. Mm-hmm. They don't know any of that. They're looking from a technical aspect. So they're looking at, are there blown highlights? Mm-hmm. You know, is this composition? You know, they're looking at all of that technical stuff, which um i don't know like 
yes, it's important, but sometimes I would rather be, I'd rather have an image that I was emotionally attached to that may be a little bit technically imperfect as opposed to having, you know, a technically perfect image, mm-hmm. but one that doesn't really have any life to it or feeling to it. So, um, yeah, I think if you're shooting for something like a competition or, you know, something like that to be judged, it's very, very different than shooting for either yourself or shooting for something that might sell on a wall because they're two very, very different things. For sure. Without a doubt. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. All right, look, what we're going to do is we're going to take one more break and we're going to come back then in the final part and I want to get into the nitty gritty, I suppose, really. I want to ask you some questions about some gear and what gear you use and such like that. So yeah, look, we'll take one more quick break and we'll be right back after this. Hello, I'm Mess Peter Iverson and you're listening to the Irish Photography Podcast. And you're very welcome back to the final part of the Irish Photography Podcast. So, you know, Stephen, we ask all our guests three questions. And I think, you know, I'm going to ask you in exactly the same order I normally ask them as well, okay? So the first question really is, what gear do you use? So what do you shoot with and what is typically in your bag? So uh, if you'd asked me this about six weeks ago, it would have been a very, very different answer because I would have been shooting all Sony. Okay. Uh, I had been shooting Sony A7-3s for my weddings and then the I was using the A7-R3 okay. for the landscape work. But I recently switched back to Fuji wow. for my landscape stuff. So I'm now shooting on their GFX, um, their medium format. Mm-hmm. and uh, GFX 50, is I it? Just, yeah, okay. uh, yeah, the 50, 50S. Uh, and I just, I've fallen back in love with it. I just... <laughs> love it the fuji colors to have them back again it's just amazing uh, i i had a little spell a few years ago with their their like their xt2 and stuff and i had um i was shooting fuji and then moved across to sony more so for the wedding stuff because the the track and the eye autofocus all of that mm-hmm. is just dynamic range it's a dream it's a yeah. dream to use on weddings it's so it's just so sharp and fast but when i find with the landscape work that the colors just i don't know the files that were coming out of it um just lack something i just i just didn't my heart didn't lie with it mm-hmm. uh resolution and sharpness all of that was amazing it was it was fantastic but um i think part of me always missed the fuji colors for the landscape work i just loved and i loved their system and how their cameras worked and the look and feel of it so i um yeah i went back to fuji about about a month ago i'd reckon so um, the landscape setup is fairly simple. I've, I've got a 23mm lens, which is about 18mm mm-hmm. roughly in full frame terms, so mm-hmm. quite wide. And uh, then I have a 45 to 100, so that's about 35 to 80 mm-hmm. roughly. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of got a prime and then a, a wide prime and then a, a bit more of a telephoto. Um, but so far, that's been all I've needed, just those two. Uh, it might be nice to add a slightly longer lens for some of the more like the mountain photography and kind of pulling in the peaks and shooting panels and things. But yeah, just just those two lenses with the one body. That's that's what I'm shooting the landscapes with at the minute. And had you gone all in on Sony? Had you the G Master lenses and everything? Yeah, I um so for weddings I shoot um I shoot the prime so shoot thirty five fifty five eighty five mm-hmm. um which I still have. But I yeah I had the for the landscapes i had the 16 the 35 g master 
I had a 24 to 105 and a 70 to 200. So I literally just took all of that extra gear and just traded it back in. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the reasons actually I, I looked at the GFX was because they had a, they dropped the price by about a thousand pound. Okay. So I'd actually brought it down in and around more the same price as the A7R4. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I had always looked at it and I always said to myself I would buy one sometime that was always my dream someday it will be mine <laughs> yeah it was just always one of those things where whenever it came out fuji had very kindly sent me one for a couple of weeks to try okay and i'd never shot medium format before and i remember getting it and it just being completely blown away and i remember always i kind of saying to myself look if i ever get the opportunity i will i will buy one of these um now it in relative terms it's quite an old camera it's probably three years or so maybe older okay so it's not a the State latest the camera arch, yeah. out there but um it, it's so it's an old model but it's just phenomenal i just i just yeah i just love it so and it hasn't actually been that big a change going back to you know the, the body is a bit bigger than the sony but the lenses would be bigger um but i don't really notice it in my bag it, it's fine um you know, if there's any excess weight, I'm happy to, I'm happy to persevere with it for the quality. That comes it's interesting. It. It's in, so it is. Yeah, it's interesting to see more and more people that are moving to Fuji are moving back to Fuji. And again, mm -hmm. I've heard it mentioned a few times before, it's just the colour palette is something which is saying, I mean, I'm a Canon shooter and I often, you know, joke with friends of mine that are Nikon shooters and I kind of go, look, all Nikon shots are yellow, all Canon shots are blue. But like yeah. when you look at the the Fuji, it's kind of a natural kind of a, it's like an earthy tone or an earthy kind of baseline colors that are within that, and it, it's really really nice to see it. And it's interesting that you said, nice to go back to that again. Um, so I'd be interested to see, I suppose, how you a month now into it, how you will get on with that and progress with that over time too. Yeah. So with, with what I find with the Sony was that I um I ended up switching to capture one um to try and edit the sony files a friend of mine who's a commercial photographer he um shoots on the sony and, and he was having problems in lightroom with the colors so he had been recommended capture one and um i think it does handle the sony files it handles the colors much much better but i was always finding that even with the raw files i had so much editing to do to try mm -hmm. and bring them back to what in my mind the scene was like mm -hmm. whereas with the you know with the fuji things now i'm finding that they're much more yes obviously they're raw files you have to process them but um you just have to do less to them mm -hmm. i find mm -hmm. personally mm -hmm. um but I, I get yeah i mean it's just i guess what your preference is For i sure. don't think there's any bad there's no bad cameras no, in gear out there nowadays it, it kind of comes down to are you a canon shooter do you prefer an icon are you so you know it's it's one of those things you kind of have to weigh it up for me with my weddings, the Sony's a no-brainer. It's a workhorse. The autofocus, I all of that tracking is a game changer for for that kind of style mm -hmm, of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then for the landscapes, so for me, it's a tool to do a job, and you're kind of weighing up. Okay, what's the best tool to use for mm -hmm. the, this particular job? And for me, the Fuji's where I am at the minute with the landscape side of things. Interesting, yeah. And as I say, a moment ago, and it'd be interesting to see how you develop with that as well over time, then and get even more akin to it because as you as the more you use something i suppose you know the easier it becomes the more familiarity you have and i mean one of the things years ago i wanted to move to sony 
And I remember using a Sony at the time going, oh man, no man, even trying to use this was alien to me. Um, and myself and Dermot got invited by Canon to the launch of the EOS R when it first came out a couple of years back. And of course I was all excited, you know, I'm going to the Canon event, etc. But I picked up the camera and it's like as if it was my best friend. I knew it already because the menu system, I had already got the experience. I knew my way around it. Muscle memory and everything was there. So moving to the Fuji side of things, you've got a different way of shooting now again because you haven't learned the camera. But like I say, once you start becoming that muscle memory again and be able to grab things quickly, you'll probably then even love it even further again, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. I, I notice now even when I go back to the Sony where I'm now because I'm switching between the two systems, you're, mm -hmm. you're doing a few things that, no, that, oh no, that's not the Fuji, that's the Sony. So you're kind of having to just double, just double guess yourself a little bit. But yeah, over time, it'll, it'll just become second for nature sure. again, yeah. I think. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Okay, and another question I suppose we ask all our guests is, what's a funny photography story? So, you know, I suppose you've got a number that you may have had over the years, but is there any in particular, clean one now, by the way, that you can share in the podcast that you can share with us? Well, um, yeah, so I think probably like most most um, viewers, we, there's the normal kind of, you know, filters falling off and crashing down cliffs or, mm -hmm. you know, gear blowing over that kind of stuff. Um, one in particular sticks in my head. We, I was up on um, Hornhead, ironically okay. named, um, in Donegal. Mm -hmm. This was back about three years ago. And uh, I was up with another photographer and we were heading out along for sunset and we noticed this couple um, way out in the distance. Now, they were slightly older generation, shall we say. And uh, okay. he, the gentleman had a drone, which was fine. That wasn't anything uncommon. So mm -hmm. the closer we got to them, um, they were kind of ver veering off over towards where the cliffs. And the next thing, the lady decided to strip completely naked. And she lay down in the cliffs and the husband flew the drone out and took, was taking pictures of her. And we were kind of going, what on earth is going on here? This is just, this is just not happening. This is a disaster. So, um, yeah, I don't think we actually ever met them again, thankfully. But yeah, that was quite an unusual experience in Hornhead of all places. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, I I'll would, never I forget that image. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant and i suppose you know another one then i'm just going back to gear now if we can briefly right so we have a very very popular segment it used to be on every week but you know kind of run over our own gear because i don't have that much i suppose that i can class as a kind of a key hero item for my photography gear enough to do once a week so i'm glad now that you know i have somebody on who's fresh here to be able to answer a question which is our regular segment our vsp our very solid product product if you could you put your name to it you won't leave. You won't leave home without it. Be it from a landscape point of view or a wedding point of view, but it's a photography product that you would stamp your seal of approval on. What's yours? Probably two from a landscape point of view. Okay. Um, one would be an L bracket. Okay. Yes. Matt, I just can't live without an L bracket. I can't stress enough. If you're trying to shoot any kind of panels or portrait images, get an L bracket. It's just it's such a good job um the other thing i have been using for the last few years is spikes on my tripod. tripod uh never used them in the past until i watched a video from simon baxter mm -hmm. a few years ago and he was kind of talking through them and obviously being in a woodland area 
um, he would, you know, it, they're obviously extremely useful. But uh, I got a set and I have, uh, honestly, I could probably not use a tripod without them now. They're just so handy. Um, and especially if you're out in conditions where, you know, it's extremely windy or you're up in the mountains and whatever, just being able to wedge your tripod down in just even a, an inch into the ground it just gives you a bit more stability so um they're not massively exciting items but i i would never be out without either the yellow bracket or tripod spikes and actually so, you know when, when we were talking about gear there um when we were talking about the camera gear and such like that but you know something we've had ah just ages ago now in the podcast was about the, the different tripods that people had had over the years and you know you were a hobbyist with one tripod, you were enthusiast with two tripods, you were going a semi-pro if you had three tripods, and you were, you know, an absolute king of tripods if you'd any more in regards to those. So, how many tripods after you, do you have? How many tripods have you had? And what's your tripod using at the moment that the spikes are in? Uh, so, at the moment, I'm using Getzo yeah. tripods. Um, I've had them for probably five or six years now. Yes. Um. I did go through a little spell of being connected with another tripod company, which I will not name, sure. but um, that was a little bit of a mistake. Okay. Um, so I went back to uh, using the Gitzo, which I, I'd had for years, and um, I'm now affiliated with them Brilliant. Um, just over the last couple of weeks. Brilliant. But, um, yes, we've got... Um, I have a couple of their more like their their systematic tripods, so it'll just be like their bigger yep. tripods, and then I have a one of the smaller traveler ones which I use more for the vlogging mm -hmm. setup. So mm -hmm. it's really lightweight; I can literally grab it with one hand, mm -hmm. um, and it's something I don't need to be too precious about. Um, I don't know if if you find that as well, but with vlogging gear, sometimes you, it needs to be almost stuff that you can just kind of throw down quickly yeah. at notice and you don't have to be too precious if cameras get bumped about or tripods get scraped or yeah. bang. But I, I know that these this gear could it'll just last. It, it's so well built. So um yeah, Gitzo is what I'm using what I'm using at the minute and yeah, finding their stuff's extremely good. Uh, Gitzo are great. So it is. They're great. I mean yeah. um I got a new one two years ago and I'm a seascape photographer and I've yet to bring it to the sea. Because my previous Gitzo, I brought to the sea. And as, as well as how good they are, as if you're getting grains of sand. It's going to get stuck. It's going to scratch the, the carbon fiber. It's going to get inside in the mechanics. Yeah. And I just said no. And I haven't brought my newer one to the sea yet um, for that reason. But even with my older one, they're, they're, they're bulletproof. I mean, you know, you, you clean it down after you finish, you're, you're perfect. You're golden again, do you know? So, yeah, they're good. They're a good, uh, good tripod expensive mind yeah. you but they they aren't yeah they're not cheap I, what what i would say to people though if you know it's like buy the best tripod you can afford mm -hmm. because you know if you're going out spending you know all this money on camera gear thousands of pounds worth of stuff you know you want something solid you want something that's going to be you know it's not going to blow over in the wind that's yeah. a leg's not going to um get pulled out whatever so yeah. invest what you can afford definitely you'll not regret it and you know what it's like uh, i said a moment ago the amount of tripods people would collect over the years because they'll start off with a cheap one and go actually i won't get an expensive one i'll see how i get on and then the next time is i'll go one bit more expensive and then all of a sudden they're going should have gone for the expensive one in the first place and uh we had a previous guest uh thor he's a guy from iceland 
and you know, yeah. he was telling us the amount of people that would come on tours with 5D Mark IVs on a tripod that cost them 40 bucks and they're mm-hmm. bringing it on to you know, Vic and they're expecting nothing bad to happen and it's just crazy when you think about it because it's really, really important um, and the systematic stuff from the Gitso as well is really, really good. That's heavy. That's a heavy system to be carrying around. Um, yeah. But you're, you're not budging anywhere and I, I agree with you. you know, get good shoes, get good feet and get good spikes there now which is your uh, your vsp um yeah. yeah so yeah good vsp yeah good good product good product thank you so listen uh, you <laughs> know you, you survived the, the 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 three questions i suppose you know so um let me ask you what's uh what's next for you in this current upside down world wow uh i guess a lot's going to depend on what restrictions are still in place uh like we were meant to be uh in iceland doing a tour workshop next month and then was meant to be going to Lofoten in January. Mm-hmm. So that obviously was all hit in the head. So yeah, I, I'd love to just get out and about again. Um, I had hoped to get to the Lake District. That was one of my other autumn locations that I had hoped to get across to. So um, yeah, I would like to get traveling a little bit again, um, even if it's just across to the Lake District or up into the, the Highlands or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or I'll just travel around Ireland. I just, um, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's just, you almost get a little bit like cabin fever now because <laughs> you're, you're told you're not allowed to go, mm-hmm. um, go to all these places, which kind of makes you want to go even more. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I'll probably just let the rest of this year roll out and see where we are at the start of the year and then start to plan ahead. Um, hopefully maybe with, with some more workshops or tours for 2021 and, and going forward but yeah just keep getting out shooting as much as i can and enjoying um, it i've been really enjoying being up in the morns since probably february march time i've been doing a lot of hiking and shooting in the morn so um i've kind of had a, a newfound love for for it have you ever come um, down so on our west coast further down now down to the likes of say claire and to kerry and to cork yeah, done. Um, yeah, done. Cliffs and Moor, and been down in Dingle and Slayhead, and done and places like that. Okay. Um, I had hoped over the summer I would travel a bit more down around the south of Ireland, but again, that that didn't happen. So, yeah. Um, as soon as things start to ease a little bit, um, especially with the wedding work being a little bit quieter, sure. Um, I'll hopefully get out and about and try and get down the the west coast. Hopefully. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So look. You know, we're out of time now. Um, so if anybody wants to get more any more information, I suppose, uh, on you, where can they find more information on Stephen Hanna? So, yeah, on YouTube, um, I just go under Stephen Hanna. So that'll be pretty straightforward. On Facebook and Instagram, it will be Nebo Fine Art. So if you Brilliant. check that out, um, probably more active on Instagram than Facebook. But uh, yeah, Nebo Fine Art or else Stephen Hanna on YouTube. Brilliant. Perfect. So Stephen, listen, look, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, chatting to you. I've really enjoyed, you know, getting the background story and where you, your thoughts are. And you know, it's been quite interesting as well, I suppose, to see the different progressions that you've done over the years. It's been fascinating to hear. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed coming on and kind of giving us a background in regards to that anyway. I have, yes. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. So look, from me down in Cork, it's uh, been a pleasure and uh, hopefully I will see you in the landscape at some stage in real life but for now anyway thanks a million Stonga Fall 
Thanks very much. Hey guys, if you dig what you're hearing, why don't you jump over to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, and don't forget to share with your friends. With all that done, we'll see you next week, and remember, keep shooting.